Thanks for checking out this episode of the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast, where we discuss a movie, we share some fun trivia facts about the film during the conversation, and we invite you to get involved too by commenting and asking questions or whatever you want to do on Facebook, facebook.com slash screenfacts. You could also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com. By the way, just want to let you know that we are not doing weekly episodes anymore. However, whenever we can do an episode, we'll put it out there. Wednesdays is when we're going to do it. So that's when you should be checking for new episodes. And remember that if you go to jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast, you can get all the information you need about how to look up past episodes of the show as well. So joining me on this episode of the podcast, the first one of 2017, my man, my buddy, Eric writes. Hey, happy new year. <laughs> happy new year. I'm not even sure how we landed on this movie, but it's yeah. a great one. Watched it again last night to prepare for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've come to the conclusion, I am a really big fan of Rob Reiner. Oh, absolutely. Meathead is among <laughs> the best. He's, Hollywood's best. He's no one doubt. of the best directors ever, I think. Absolutely. So many great movies. Well, I think part of him being an actor definitely helps him well in so many facets like in when we talk about this movie and right. how he selects people and stuff i think it just shows and that's why he makes quality stuff yeah and if you're listening right now you're probably going well what rob reiner movie are you going to be talking about oh actually you probably do know that because you clicked on something so but <laughs> but we are talking about stand by me excellent excellent love it saw it in the theaters when it came out fantastic movie yeah this is one of those movies that during the movie mm-hmm there was applause. And then at the end, you just fade and you stop yeah. and you're watching the screen and the lights go up and people are still you know, sitting there. Yeah, It's just one of those movies. Well, there's a couple of things. First off, I'm a sucker for a good coming of age movie. Absolutely. If, uh, coming yeah. of age movies always resonate with me. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not because I had this fantastic childhood or whatever. Right, right. Maybe that's why. Maybe because hmm. I wish I lived the life that these kids had. Yeah. Where they go off on, on this little adventure, you know? And for me, it resonates a lot because I had a summer when I was around that age, 13 years old, and I lived near a railroad track. And there was a summer where a couple friends, we spent all day walking along the tracks. There was a lumber yard. Sometimes we kind of broke into the lumber yard and took some wood and we built a fort and stuff. And Mm -hmm. we also rode our bikes up to a ravine and we'd go swimming. We spent the whole day just being out. Even though there's a world of difference between 1959 and 1975, say, 76, 77, still... I get to spend the whole day in the summer with friends mm-hmm. and not having to be texted back and forth with right. my parents. Where are you? Are you okay? And all that. We just assumed we were fine. Now, we did some stuff where we could have killed ourselves. But... Yeah. <laughs> well, when we were watching the movie. Before we start getting into all that, let, let's just housekeeping. Do, let's do the housekeeping first. So, yeah. released August 22nd, 1986. So, this mm-hmm. year celebrated its 30th anniversary. Hard to believe. Last year celebrated its 30th anniversary. Good call. Good call. <laughs> That's right. But the stars Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland, and Richard Dreyfus with a small role as uh, the writer. Right. And he actually was hired as the writer after several other actors were considered, mm-hmm. including Michael McKeon, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what really got me is uh, they had David Dukes. Mm-hmm. He was cast. 
they had already started filming with him. But basically, they just decided he didn't have the right voice. Yeah, that's it. And that's very interesting because I think Richard Dreyfuss's voiceover performance is mm-hmm. wonderful in the movie. Absolutely. He's got a perfect cadence, I think. It's very comforting and warming, mm-hmm. and it just goes so well yep. with the character that Will Wheaton built up during right. the movie. Right. And he actually, uh, in real life, Richard Dreyfuss... And Rob Reiner, the director, mm-hmm. which we talked about already at the top of the podcast, <laughs> they were good friends. They they grew up together. Right. They went to, went to high school together. Mm-hmm. And Richard Dreyfuss actually said when he saw this movie, he he felt like, wow, I felt like I was sort of watching how Rob and I grew up in, in some ways. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Well, so, I also liked how um, you know Reiner brought in the guy that played the older brother that died. John Cusack. John Cusack. Because John, that, that part had so little screen time. But yet you needed someone that just made you really feel that, wow, what a great kid this older brother was. And John Cusack just, for me, fit that part very well. So yeah. you liked him right away. I love him. I'm a big fan of his work. He's yeah. a great actor. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was terrific. Well, I mean, and also, he was just amazing. Well, and also let's just remember that Gordy is remembering his older brother. Well, he's only remembering the best things. And all the snippets are, you know, just the most perfect little Yeah, but they kind of painted that character in the story itself as Mm -hmm. being like, you know, he was the golden child. I mean, he was the the star quarterback on the high school football team. You know, the fact that that dynamic of how Gordy felt like he didn't matter to his dad because Denny was so, you know, was was like a a star athlete and everything else. He didn't have that kind of a relationship with his dad. Yeah. That's a big part of the story. Oh, absolutely. And how Gordy wasn't mad at his older brother for being the perfect kid because right. usually siblings there's rivalry but his brother was so good at making him feel worth which his father didn't do right and that's one of the things i love about that role for john cusack is that mm-hmm. you know his dad the whole time oh you know there's going to be scouts there at the game right. so you got to be focused blah 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 and he said hey dad did you see Gordy's story that he wrote. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. Yeah. Like he's trying to put some of his dad's attention yeah. on his brother. So I think that's very cool. He doesn't revel in himself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And before we brush past all the people in the, the cast, we have to say how great these young actors were in this movie. Oh, fantastic. And I think part of it is definitely due to Rob Reiner mm-hmm. when he was looking at all of them, you know, mm-hmm. with Will Wheaton. You know, he said he needed someone for the Gordy character to be intelligent, portray very sensitive. Right. And kind of had like those big doughy eyed, right. you know, um, innocence. It's funny that you say that because the scene in the movie where Will Wheaton has that, that moment with the deer on the railroad tracks. Yeah. yeah. He says that people have told him that you, you look at his face and you look at the doe's face and it's like the same face. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And th- that's such a great scene in the movie, too. Oh. Definitely. And then next there's River Phoenix, mm-hmm. who plays Chris. Mm-hmm. Reiner said he was a perfect fit because he had like that rebel kind of attitude and feel, but he was also a natural leader, peacemaker. Because um, he grew up in a hippie family. Well, that was it. He called him uh, an earth person. Yeah. Because he was raised by these hippies that right. lived in and out of VW bugs and stuff. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you go to Corey Feldman, who played Teddy. Right. Corey was, of course, he had a, right, angry, had this tumultuous relationship with his parents. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like 
to me, like he was almost a commodity where his parents were just managing him. Yeah. I think he definitely had some anger in there and mm-hmm. that character had some great lines. Mm-hmm. Then you had Jerry O'Connell mm-hmm. who played Vern. Right. He was only 11. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And this was really his first big gig. Yeah. Apparently he had done some commercials. Reiner just looked at this character as kind of like, you know, the goofy, wacky kid. He kind of fit the bill because he was an inexperienced actor. And right. he came to the set as, wow. This kind of wide-eyed this, kid, wow, probably. Look at all this. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he fit the bill perfectly. It's funny because we were watching the featurette on the Blu-ray and they're interviewing all the main actors now. Right. Sue made a comment that Jerry O'Connell seems as goofy now as he was back then, (laughs) which sort of, you know, he looks a lot different, obviously. But yeah, I mean, you know, they've all gone on, obviously, with the exception, sadly, of River Phoenix, who died of a drug overdose a few years after this, Yeah, which is really a shame because you you talk about a guy that was like at the top of his game. He would have been staying power. Oh, forget it. He was phenomenal, you know. I mean, he did other movies besides this where mm-hmm. he shined. Yeah. So at least he has, you know, somewhat of a body of work that people can look back on. Right. It's kind of like Heath Ledger. Yeah. There's always these young actors that unfortunately bad things happen and we lose them too soon. And you know, you just never know what's, what yeah, they could have been. Yeah, what could have been. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kiefer Sutherland is so good in this movie. <laughs> so, and it's funny because we watch Designated Survivor. Okay. And he plays a character that is more you know, introspective and quiet, speaks mm-hmm. a little more softly, which apparently is more of his actual persona. He's always, I think even in this, he's sort of soft-spoken because he's got that real measured, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah, but he was a badass. Oh, big time. Badass in this movie. In yeah. fact, it's funny because Jerry O'Connell said he was actually afraid yeah. of Kiefer. And, yeah. you know, Kiefer, again, he was a method actor. Right. So apparently kept in character. and He teased them. Yeah. Right. He would tease the kids. And yeah. Will Wheaton said he doesn't recall ever really being scared, but definitely yeah. – Jerry O'Connell was. Yeah, well, because he was 11. So Kiefer Sutherland has that really rich voice, too. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Like, when a bad guy doesn't have to yell and be really in your face in order to intimidate, he just Mm -hmm. has that real kind of... Yeah. Now, here's the thing. You're going to leave. We're going to take the body... You know, that kind of yeah. like the way he talks. Yeah, I can't absolutely. I can't talk like him. But you know what I'm saying? Like real soft spoken. And that's scarier, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Than a guy that's like, listen, we're taking that body, you know. And, Who's with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the director was going to be somebody else. Okay. It was going to be Adrian Lin from Fatal Attraction. Oh, wow. Yeah. But apparently was going to go on vacation. So uh, Rob Reiner, that was still early in his transition. Yeah, um, that's true. He he hadn't really done a lot of movies uh, prior to this. Yeah. But he had already done Spinal Tap and The Shore Thing, which is where he met Cusack and brought him on. So you know how long it took them to shoot the movie? I don't, actually. 60 days. Wow. They did it over a summer Mm -hmm. in Oregon. So there's a funny story about how they ended up in Oregon. Oh. The original story takes place in Maine. but Which most of Stephen King's stuff right. does. Exactly. Yeah. And what happened was, I guess, when the producers or whoever started scouting locations or whatever mm-hmm. for this movie, they assumed it was Oregon because it was Portland, Maine was, was mentioned in the oh, story. Oh, really? So they heard Portland. They, oh, okay. So it's in Oregon. So, oh, my gosh. And then they just, I guess it was just either too late or they figured, ah, oh, it's kind of pretty here. So let's, let's go well, forward you know, with it. Well, and they lucked out, too, because they had a really nice summer while they were filming, mm-hmm. which is very lucky because this whole movie only spanned two days. 
So you couldn't have a whole lot of massive weather right. changes. Yeah, if they, they had cloudy days and, and sunny days, then it would, be, it would have been really weird to yeah. kind of make that all match up. Yeah, so that works out well. Near the end, where they find the body, mm-hmm. that scene is supposed to be darker weather-wise with you know wind and a storm coming. Mm-hmm. So having this nice summer weather, they had to do stuff. You know? I, noticed, I noticed that it was very windy when they right. discovered the body. They brought out a wind machine. <laughs> That's really They funny. did, I don't know, whatever they, they do with the... They put guess, something over the, the lens, thin, maybe? Right, to yeah. make it grayer. Okay. And they, ha- and they tied off some fishing line to some of the trees, branches and stuff. Oh, that's stuff, very cool. And just had people pulling them offline. To, that's very cool. Yeah. Hey, again, you know, you don't need CGI to make everything work sometimes. Well, the funny thing is I was watching that scene thinking, wow, it really looks like the weather took a turn for the worse. <laughs> and and they, I'm going, wow, they must be really cold because the, the wind's right. blowing and they mm-hmm. look, you know, but even though it's summer. Right. But yeah, that's, so that's very interesting that they created that. <laughs> but how great was that for that scene? Oh, yeah. That made so Absolutely. much sense. Yeah. You I know, mean, after this long trek yep. and here's their climax is finding this body. Yeah. And it was it only made sense for it to then get, you know, dark and a little foreboding. Yeah. Rob Reiner credits a lot of the success with how well the cast worked together and everything else because of the fact that he was an actor. And even Will Wheaton said that he learned the term an actor's director Mm. from working with Rob Reiner. Because before they started shooting, they played all kinds of theater games together. They got the boys together, you know, and and gave them an opportunity. Yeah, they got a hotel room suite and they had them all together. They they gave them an opportunity to bond in real life. Yeah. So when they were on screen together, it would seem like they knew each other for a long time. That was a great idea. Absolutely. And it worked. Absolutely. They did a lot of those, you know, Boy Scout building exercise, you know, falling backwards and... Putting blindfolds on somebody, then giving them directions to walk through the lobby of the hotel and stuff like that. <laughs> and then they got to do stuff together. Yeah. You know, like Will Wheaton apparently did something to one of the video games. Yeah. And, um, but he, he rigged it. He so. didn't want to. Yeah. He rigged it so they could play without paying for it. Yeah. But which, he was nervous back, about doing you know, it. Which was a big deal in the mid 80s. You got to sure. think about that. Kids at that age were in arcades everywhere mm-hmm. and love video games like that. And, yeah. you know, they don't have a lot of money in their pocket. So, of course, they're going to want to be able to play Pac-Man or whatever for free. Well, and what was cool <laughs> was that River Phoenix, mm-hmm. kind of similar to the character he was going to play, mm-hmm. was saying, look, if it gets figured out, I'll take the I'll take blame the for it. I was like, how cool nice. is that? Very Which cool. is, yeah, I thought that's kind of like what Chris was going to be like. Stephen King obviously has made a career out of supernatural, horror, mm-hmm. you know, really freaky kind of stuff. Yeah. And this movie is not that at all. It's very right. emotional. It's a coming mm-hmm. of age. It's, you know, yeah, it's when very I heard different. It was, when I heard it was Stephen King after yeah. I saw it, I'm like, really? A lot, of people, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Screenplay written by Reynold Gideon and Bruce A. Evans. Estimated budget, $8 million. Domestic gross, $52.2 million. It's the fifth highest grossing movie based on a Stephen King story. Behind the Green Mile, 1408, Misery, and Pet Cemetery. Loved Misery. Loved it. Loved Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Never saw 1408. Looks mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Nor did I. Yeah. The Green Mile is wonderful, too. Yeah, Green Mile is great. amazing. But still, and that's when you think that, oh, my gosh, the Stand By Me was only his fifth? For movies, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God. And that's, you know, think of, like, all the movies, Cujo, Carrie, Christine, The Shining. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, like, a ton of really iconic horror movies based on Stephen Mm -hmm. King stories that are not in the top five. Yeah. Misery, by the way, also directed by Rob Reiner. Was it? Yeah. 
Oh man! Wh- again, he did a great job. Exactly. That's my. That's why I'm <laughs> saying I'm. I'm s- discovering that I really love Rob Reiner's work. He's yeah. he's done so many movies that I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. A couple of them based on Stephen King stories. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King actually said that this was the best adaptation of his work that he's ever seen. This movie. And there's actually two other movies that were adapted from the book that Stand By Me comes from. Different seasons. Shawshank Redemption is also from that. You know, it's funny because at some part in Stand By Me, Teddy mm-hmm. is talking, I don't know, saying something about maybe uh, you know going to jail or something. He mentions going to the shank. Well, it's funny that you say that because most Stephen King stories do mention characters or things from yeah. other Stephen King stories. So let's see. Ace Merrill, who, which is the character that Kiefer Sutherland plays... Uh, later reappeared in the book Needful Things. The dog Chopper is sort of like Cujo, oh, Cujo a little bit. All right. Um, sick balls. The char- <laughs> <laughs> Chopper sick balls. The characters are uh, familiar with uh, Shawshank Prison from Shawshank Redemption, there which is go. what you're talking about. Yeah. And Teddy, do, is it Duchamp or Duchamp? Duchamp. It depends on who's talking. But he French. says Duchamp. Well, they call him Duchamp. Duchamp. Well, he's so, French. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So he was originally mentioned in Carrie. Oh, really? Uh, which Carrie destroys a gas station that he worked at. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, there's oh, uh, there's cool. these crossovers, which I think is pretty cool. By the way, the screenplay was nominated for an Oscar, and it received Best Drama and Best Director Golden Globe nominations as well. Cool. Now, Will Wheaton, isn't there a family thing? Yes. Is it something about Wagon Train? Yeah. Like his, his grandfather? Yeah, his grandfather starred in Wagon Train. Okay. So his grandmother asked that somehow they work that into the script. Well, I think that's great because- <laughs> at the one point, they're talking about movies and TV shows and stuff. Yeah, and let's... Will Wheaton says, wagon train. They never seem to go anywhere. They just keep wagon training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if his grandma was like, really? You couldn't come you up couldn't with something better? You couldn't come up with better than that, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because they had that really deep conversation. Well, first, the first thing starts with when they're walking on the railroad tracks, Vern says to Teddy... I think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman. <laughs> right. And he goes, what are you, cracked? Goes, well, like, he's really strong. I saw him carrying five elephants. Five elephants in one hand. Yeah. Yeah, but he goes, he goes, he's a cartoon. Superman's a real Superman's guy. Superman's a real guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. But it'd be a great fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the very beginning when it opens, you're looking at the tree fort. Mm-hmm. And Vern goes walking up and- He does the, not, the secret knock. But he does it wrong. He never remembers how to do this. He doesn't know how to do it. And that was Will Wheaton's idea. Yeah. And I think that's perfect because that just shows, uh, yeah, he's yeah. kind of the, the goofball of the right. group. You know, he's right. kind of like, yeah, the low one on the totem pole. And by the way, that was something that I, I started to say earlier and I kind of got sidetracked. Mm-hmm. How this movie really does transport you. You know, I didn't grow up in 1959, but when they show Will Wheaton, I think he goes and he buys a comic book and then he walks to the treehouse. Mm-hmm. And you right. see him walking through the town. Yeah. And it's just this beautiful, pristine, quiet. Well, there's only 2,100 people in that town. I know, so but, but, but. How dirty are you going to get? But you just go, you go, oh, it looks like such a nice time to be a kid, you know? Yeah. And then another part that I really like is when then he you goes, got 20 year olds beating you up in the middle of daylight. Well, I mean, you know, so. that, there's, there's something really disturbing about the scene where, where Ace. <laughs> pushes Chris to the ground. He's threatening him with the cigarette butt. And his brother's yeah. standing right there and he doesn't right. do anything. Oh, his brother. Is a dick. Um, eyeball or whatever. Yeah, eyeball, yeah. What a major douchebag. Yes. Because, yes, that scene. Yeah. And then at the body. Yeah. Friggin' Ace is it's, taking he's gonna a cut knife his, yeah. to him. He's going to cut his throat. Yeah. And Eyeball's just like, 
Come on, Chris. Uh, Come on, Chris. Uh, Give it up, Chris. It's, it's just, oh. Yeah. It's just one. That was one of the scenes where yeah. people in the crowd were like, Get yeah, you bitch! Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but what I, what I was going to say is one of the other scenes that I really like that really kind of transports you mm-hmm. is when Will Wheaton, where Gordy goes to the general store yeah. to buy the food. With right. the two dollars and thirty-seven cents or whatever that that they compile from all their uh, seven cents of which yes. came from Vern. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. One of my favorite lines in the movie. But so he goes into the store, yeah. and and the camera's facing the wall, and you see all the different products, and you see all the old labels from those products, and yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. It's so authentic, which I love. It was great. Unfortunately, was there? A, uh, they had some aluminum cans. Oh, okay. That's no aluminum back then. Only you would notice I, that. Sorry. Yeah. You know. But but I think it's it's cool when the uh, the shop owner, you know, he's talking yeah. to him about his brother and all that. But then right. he puts this big hunk of meat on the counter. He goes, there's a buck and a half of, uh, of hamburger. And it's like, like a gigantic package. Like, That's nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> very, I very like cool. how then they prepared it. Yeah. On sticks. On sticks. I'm like, what? I mean, when that, when the camping scene came up. And we're like, what the heck are they roasting on the sticks? Yeah, the it hamburger. took a little while. It's like, oh, is that the hamburger? And yeah. they're just balling it up. Okay. It's oh, like it's a giant meatball. Fish. Yeah, yeah. A meatball. Why not? <laughs> I just love that mm-hmm. stuff. As long as we're talking about the uh, <laughs> the conversations right. that they're having by the campfire, too. Yeah, right. So, you know, of course, the, the iconic one is Mickey's a mouse, Donald's a duck. What's Pl- what the Pluto's hell's a dog? Yeah, what the, the hell's Goofy? Goofy? He's, he's a dog. <laughs> But he can't be because he, he drives. drives a car yeah. <laughs> and he has a tie or something. It's like, I love that stuff. But then like the next day, yeah. uh, they're walking on the tracks and, mm-hmm. they're, and they have, they all have like the, they make little pouches with their shirts filled with berries that they pick. Oh, right. Yes. And Vern says to Gordy, he says, gee, Gordy, I, I wish you would have gotten more with the money, you know, yeah. More, yeah, better, more, breakfast. More better stuff to eat, like, you know, cherry pez and root beer. Right. And uh, Gordy says, well, Vern, if I were a more experienced shopper, I could have gotten more with your, your seven, seven cents. cents. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. My favorite line in the movie. I mean, Gordy put in over a buck. <laughs> yeah. The other guys had at least 60 cents. That's, it's the best. And of course, the one who's complaining yeah, of is course. the one that has the least. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. All right. So what are some of the other iconic scenes we should talk about? Oh, that train scene was friggin' crazy. Oh, uh, it's great. They're talking about, all right, we're going to walk across this trestle, mm-hmm. insane, hundreds of feet up in the air right. over this you know, little river. I would, be, I would be terrified to walk across that even if I knew there wasn't a train coming for hours. Yeah, I'm not great with heights and mm-hmm. looking down between the slats and everything. No way. And Teddy, of course, he's got a death wish. Right. Early in the movie, he's standing on the track, egging on a train. Yeah, he wants to do a train dodge. Right. I don't understand how that works. You wait until the last possible moment to jump out of the way of the train. It's like playing chicken with the train. Okay. And then and then you Oh, you, that clears you jump, it up. Thank you. You jump off the <laughs> you jump off the track right before right. you're going to get hit by the train. Uh, all right. Whatever. But it's they had idiotic. a real train. There was a real train right. on that track. They were actually doing it, which I thought was very cool. But yeah, so he's a death wish there. He's got mm-hmm. a death wish when they're talking about, well, we could walk down the river and cross at another bridge and he's like no I'm walking across this no matter what and off he just goes I mean he's obviously very troubled because of his, his dad who yeah. burns his ear off with the by holding it to a stove you know that's an interesting thing that three of the four main characters have issues with their father Vern we don't learn anything about yeah we don't his know. family we just kind of assume 
that he's got an okay family life because well, we don't we, hear anything. We, we kind of get a sense that if his parents find out that he was off in the woods with his friends, he's going to get his ass handed to him. Right, but, right. Which is normal for any kid. Would. Exactly. So that's all we hear about him. Right. But yeah, we learned that you know Chris's father is a drinker, like you were saying with Teddy with the ear burn. Right. Meanwhile, if you watch the movie, the level of injury to his ear changes. <laughs> I think I did notice that too. Okay. Okay. All right. And then Gordy with his father. Mm-hmm. You know, like he says, you know, how come Teddy loved his father even though he almost killed him? Right. But yet I hate my father who never raised a hand against me. Well, his father's a good, caring father, but we know he's He's emotionally abusive. There's, yes. It's the difference between physically abusive and emotionally abusive. Right. And some could argue, myself included, that yeah. emotionally abusive might even be worse. Might be worse. And it might even leave deeper scars. Yeah. It's weird that, all right, so Teddy's character, yeah, he, his father burns his ear and physically abuses him. But yeah, he's always defending him. Well, I think all he ever brings up is that my father stormed the beaches at Normandy. Right. You know, when he's talking to the uh, junkyard guy. Right. Who said, your father's a loony, 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 loony. It's <laughs> a great and scene. Said, my father stormed. The-. That was the scene mm-hmm. that he auditioned with. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a scene. So obviously he got to show his anger there. Oh, man. Where he's like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. My father stormed the beaches in Normandy. You piece of fucker. shit. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. So what a great scene. Yeah. To do for oh, an audition. Absolutely. I mean, that absolutely. shows whether you got it or not. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the pinnacle of, of the character. And if you can't yep. pull that off, then you can't play that you character. You can't do any of it. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think what it is, if I'm going to analyze the situation, yeah. I think Teddy is just trying to find a glimmer of something good in his dad. And the right. best thing he can come up with was that he's a war hero, yeah. which is obviously a great thing. Sure. And maybe he's making excuses for why his dad treats him so poorly right. because his dad went through war and war does yeah. things to people. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe he's trying to say, I mean, it sucks it's not that his my dad- fault. Yeah, exactly. In a way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But you talk about the emotions from these guys, these young kids and how they, they come across on screen. Rob Reiner did an exercise with River Phoenix, the scene where he yeah. cries at the campfire right. when he's talking about how, you know, they just assume that I took the milk money, blah, blah, right. blah. Well, it turns out that he did take the milk money, but then he tried to return it. But the teacher ended mm-hmm. up stealing the money herself to buy a new dress. Yeah, and you know, then, she had the skirt with the new polka dots yeah, and right. stuff. Yeah. So basically the teacher was this adult that let him down. So right. Rob Reiner wasn't getting the performance that he, he knew he could get from R- River Phoenix. He felt yeah. like he could do better. So yeah. he said... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to go back, do a little sense memory. Think of a time when an adult let you down in some way, mm-hmm. when they didn't have your back, where they really disappointed you. Yeah. Think about that for a minute and really use that next on the next take. So River Phoenix you know, went off and he thought about it. And he goes, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. He thought about a time when, when an adult let him down in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he ended up putting forth in the performance that ended wow. up in the movie. And Rob Reiner hugged him afterwards yeah. and said, you know, that Gotta was great. Talk him back down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, exactly. imagine what Reiner probably had to do with in that train trestle scene when mm-hmm. the train shows up. Yes. And, you know, Gordy and Vern. Yes. Now Vern got to outrun the train. Right. Again, Reiner wasn't getting enough out of the two of them. Right. So he basically. They didn't look scared enough. They didn't look scared enough. Right. Yeah. So he like berated them. Yeah. And was saying, you guys are wasting our fucking time. Yeah. You're not giving me what we need. You These guys- men are tired of, of moving this camera back and forth to get this yep. scene and you're not doing it right. Yeah. And he started really yelling and they yeah. got really upset. And they started. 
started crying yeah. and he's like quick get on the track yeah. and start running <laughs> roll the camera so, and and really i mean jerry o'connell i mean he was so red yeah. and scared i mean these two kids man they yeah. looked Hey, whatever you got to do to get the get the performance, I guess, yeah. when you're a director. I don't think he was trying to be mean. It worked. He's a, yeah. And I wonder, like, you know, in retrospect, I would think that the actors would say, you know what? He got it out of us, and that's what it is. It is a job. You yeah, know? It absolutely. It is a job. They absolutely. have to make it work. And it only helps them in their careers. Absolutely. So absolutely. Unless they're somehow scarred for life. No. <laughs> Meathead yelled at well, that's, me. But that's the difference. I think, you know, if he just yelled at them and then didn't afterwards say, you know, great job. Right. I got what I was looking for. I'm right. sorry I had to yell at you. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know. When you see the final product, right. you're like, man, I look really scared. Good yeah. job. Good job, well, Rob. We should talk about that scene a little bit further, too. It looks like the characters are in a lot of peril. I mean, Oh, my you gosh. Know, the train's like right on their heels. Right. But in that shot. Yeah, the train was actually at the far end of the trestle with the okay. two actors on the opposite end. Yeah, and the crew used a 600 millimeter long focus lens. Oh, I love that lens. That <laughs> shot at the telephoto end, it compressed <laughs> the image so it made it look like the train was right behind. Okay, them. when we were in the theater, we're watching that. We're like shitting bricks out. I'm like, God, these guys are. Gonna yeah, I mean, you know, you want it to look as realistic as possible, but you yeah. can't. You can't risk actors getting hurt or anything. You know, mm-hmm. and they had stunt people involved. The scene took a full week to shoot. They had four small adult females. Well, because those fucking kids couldn't get. <laughs> their right their performances that's why it took a week damn it i i think that was only a small part of why it took a uh, while but okay. but four small adult female stunt doubles with closely mm-hmm. cropped hair to make them look like the boys were used for the scene also the cigarettes mm-hmm. a lot of smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. not real cigarettes that's correct they were i read two different things cabbage leaves mm-hmm. or lettuce leaves i read cabbage and i read they use cabbage leaves because rob reiner yeah. insisted upon that. He was a, okay. an avid non-smoker who campaigned for anti-smoking laws in California. So oh. he's like, I'm not going to have these kids smoking cigarettes in this movie. Well, good for him. Which makes sense. Even though for the viewer, they're smoking cigarettes. We don't know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they look completely real. Yeah. And it's funny. They each seem to like hold them differently. Yeah. I mean, it looked like River and Teddy. Then Teddy. Yeah. They looked like they knew how to hold cigarettes. Right. Because they were the badasses. They were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but definitely <laughs> Verno. If you look, he was oh. kind of holding it weird. And he did not look comfortable. And it's really funny how he says, oh, a cigarette always tastes great after a meal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like his whole experience. He does it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they all laugh at him, too. Let's talk about another big scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. When Ace takes Gordy's cap, his Yankees cap. Yes, early on. Yeah, now remember, this is the, the lucky cap. That John Cusack, his brother, yeah, his gives brother to him. Gave him. Yeah. And it's a big moment in the movie. And yeah. and obviously anything that he has from his brother is really important to him. Yeah. So Ace takes the hat off of him. Yeah. And his first inclination, Kiefer Sutherland, was to put it on. Right. Rob Reiner said, no, give it yeah. to Eyeball. Right. Because you don't even care about the hat. You don't want the hat. The hat means nothing to you. You don't want to mess up your hair. You're just stealing right. it. Just to because, be a dick. Just to be a dick, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so Will Wheaton said to Rob Reiner, how come he doesn't get his cap back in the end? He goes, oh, he threw that cap away like as soon as he went around the corner. The cap yeah. meant nothing to him. He just wanted to be a dick. Yeah. So that's why Gordy never gets his cap back. But I think uh-huh. that's really a cool little detail in the movie. Oh, definitely. That they just wanted Ace to be this cruel guy right. who knows how much his cap means to him, to Gordy, yeah. and he just takes it from him and he doesn't even want it. Right, because it's more than just taunting. Yeah. It's just digging deep into this poor kid's heart. Yep. The leeches. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. So they come across the water, and it's this swampy, crappy uh. thing in the middle of the forest. And so Chris takes a stick, right. and he points it. And it's like, it's only a couple inches deep. He's right. like, oh, it's not deep. We can walk right across it. Right. They take three steps, and, and what happens? Right in. <laughs> right. Their whole bodies fall in. Which plays is very funny. Yes. When you're watching the movie. But also kind of gross. I well, mean, we were, we were all like, oh, because, yeah. I mean, you know, that's skanky water. And even yeah. that little body of water mm-hmm. was made yes. for the movie. Yes. It still sat there. Right, for a couple of months. Right. The idea was that they didn't want to put the, the boys in an actual swamp, in an actual pond. So they built something out in the woods thinking it's a controlled environment, except it was right. built two months before they shot the scene. <laughs> so shit happened, you know? Yeah. And then when the, by the time they shot the scene... It was skanky. Yeah. Well... Hey, it worked. It looked good. I that, mean, that scene with the leeches, man, when he pulls his, put his, his hand in the sh- out Yeah, but when he puts his hand look. in his shorts. Well, just first when he's looking. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Oh, Chris. I just remember in the theater, we're all like, oh, yeah. no. But he, when he pulls his hand out and it's like covered in blood. Yeah. And then, oh, And God. that leech was big and it's like oh. yeah, on his hand. Yeah. And when he passes out, it's like yeah. nobody laughed in the theater. No. Nobody laughed. It was, it felt so yeah. real and so yeah. serious. It was all, <gasps> Yeah. I might be jumping ahead, but- The leeches, by the way, actually happened to Stephen King. Maybe not exactly, but he did have that experience where he was in in water. A friend of his was with him, and he did like a handstand, and when his legs came out of the water, they were covered in leeches. (laughs) Oh, yuck! (laughs) Oh, my God. So so the pond and coming up with leeches really happened to Stephen King when he was a kid. Oh, nasty. Oh, Oh, I get skeeved out just thinking about, oh, I got got a mosquito, (laughs) We got to talk about Lardass too, because that's a great scene in the movie when he drinks the castor oil. Oh my god! Before so and and then he cracks the egg in his mouth. Ah, oh, he was a big kid for a twelve-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't tell if he had like pillows in his. I mean, he looked like he a, definitely was padded, padded a little bit, right? Because you look at his arms, he was pretty. His big. arms were pudgy, but I don't think they really. Yeah, went but he with was that entire body. Yeah, that that he was definitely padded. From yeah, but but when he, you know when he says five pies worth of uh, vomit or whatever, on oh. the, the guy. <laughs> So great. That was so nasty. I mean, you can tell he's it's not really coming from him, but it's still funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Well, and I liked that since it was that kind of a story Mm -hmm. that not that it was cartoonish, but it was, you know, it was bright and vibrant colors and everything, which I thought was pretty cool. And then when everybody starts puking on one lady pukes in her purse, the other, the uh, the woman's auxiliary pukes on the benevolent orb of antelope, antelope, (laughs) the antelope, the mayor pukes on his wife's tits. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's not now boobage. You're, now you're saying, oh, that's true. That's the only boobage, I guess, that's, technically. Well, well, no, but there's, see, that's the one No, thing. they mention Annette Finicello's tits, too. And as a- I noticed how the A and the E are spreading out a little more. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and trying to be properly prepared, uh-huh. I did go online mm-hmm. to look for- photos of Annette Funicello uh-huh. at various ages. 1959, that, what she looked like. 1959, she was definitely beginning to blossom. <laughs> so the thing is, though, the names were in smaller letters put okay. high up on their chest. So I couldn't find any pictures where it was, Annette, you know, it doesn't... I think they knew not to do that. Right, so that's the, probably a little The too names much. were just up top. 
One of the things I love in this movie is the dynamic between Chris and Gordy. There's a lot of wisdom in those two boys. And they help each other, too. Oh, yeah. Um, like, Chris doesn't think he's worth anything. He thinks he's forever doomed to be this kid that comes from a bad family. Nobody's right. going to ever give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. He's and never going to get out of this town. And Gordy's yeah. always pumping him up. You know, he's always mm-hmm. saying, no, you, you don't have to be that. And because of Gordy's influence... We find out that he ends up getting through high school and going to college, and then we really learn why this whole movie is going on. Right. We find out that he was killed in right. a convenience store trying to break up a fight. Right. He gets stabbed in the throat. He gets stabbed in the throat. And it was so sad where he's telling, when the narrator, the mm-hmm. writer's saying that, mm-hmm. we just see Chris walking away. Right. River Phoenix, the young Chris. Right. And, and he then, just fades. And he just disappears. Right. He fades. <sighs> That's heartbreaking when you're watching the movie, but then yeah. it's even more heartbreaking when you're watching the movie knowing that River Phoenix dies a yeah. couple of years later. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Chris is great when Gordy's saying that oh, my father hates me. And right. He said, no, he doesn't know you. Right. And he's right. Right. His father doesn't know this kid. His no, because his father has been focused on Denny his whole life. Right. So Chris is great at saying, no, your father doesn't know you. At one point he says, well, you know, I wish I was your father because then I would tell you to stop all this bullshit about going to shop and mm-hmm. follow you know, your dreams. You know, God gave you this gift. Right. It's like, you know, this is what we got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. Right. But kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look after them. And if your parents are too fucked up to do it, then maybe I should. Yeah. And That's so, heavy for a kid that age to yeah, think like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is awesome that because I bet if they did go their separate ways, neither one of them would have made it. Absolutely. You know, they were, they were great. for They each were other. very symbiotic. It had they needed each other. And it was a beautiful thing. So a couple of other things about the movie. Coca-Cola bought mm-hmm. Embassy Pictures, the film's original production company, and announced they weren't going to fund it just two days before they were set to start shooting. Oh, now, can man. you imagine like oh, all of the gosh. work that goes into making a movie, and yeah. you're ready to go, and you're all excited. All the mobility you're doing, you Everything. got everybody I mean, there's there. a ton. Of, and, and then they're getting ready to pull the plug. Norman Lear, who, of course, was one of the showrunners for All in the Family with Rob Reiner. Right, right. He believed in it so much that he personally put up the $8 million to make the movie. Holy crap. Yeah. He wrote a check for eight mil. Yep. That probably wasn't that hard for him to do at the time because he had a lot of success in television. In addition to All in the Family, I think, you know, all the spinoffs too, the Jeffersons and um, Maud, all that sure. stuff. Yeah. 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 He was a pretty famous producer and he also was involved behind the scenes. He was an executive producer of The Princess Bride too. Another Rob oh, Reiner really? movie. Yeah. Oh, great movie. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic movie. Um, the other thing, Michael Jackson was asked to do a cover of Benny King's song, Stand By Me. <sighs> And they, uh, Rob Reiner said, no, you know what? I think it would be better to have the original. Thank you, Rob Reiner. Yes. Nothing tweaks my spindle. <laughs> Nothing grinds your gears more. Grinds my gears, <laughs> boils my bottom. <laughs> like taking, no, you've got this period movie. Yeah. Right? Right. And you've got this fantastic song. Now, Michael Jackson, great performer, incredibly talented, but darling, darling, stand. I'm going to stop you right there and play devil's advocate. 1986 or 1985 when they're making this movie. There's nobody that's a bigger star on the planet than Michael Jackson. They're thinking Michael Jackson does a remake of this song. It's going to be a huge hit all over again. It's going to bring a lot of people into the theater to see the movie. It's going to do all that. Rob Reiner said, you know what? The original version suits the movie better. Turns out he's right because they use it. 
And guess right. what? It hits the top 10 again mm-hmm. 25 years after it originally hit the top right. 10. You're making a movie yeah. of a period. That's the music I want to hear. That's me. Again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Benny King's version of the song is classic. It's beautiful. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's an awesome song. Right. Why mess with it? But again, Michael Jackson was the biggest guy in the world in 1985. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, you know, they probably thought that, that Commercially, would... yes. Yes. I am talking about art. I'm with you. Awesome. All right. Preaching to the choir. So one other thing that I have, the lead actors were not allowed to see Ray Brower's body until they unveil him on camera. That's smart. Yeah. The plan was that they they wanted the the boys to feel unsettled about what they were going to discover. Right. And get the best reaction from that. Well, it's great because, yeah, I remember first time watching the movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, what are we going to see? Like, (laughs) well, like, you know, Vern saying, is he going to be mangled and bloody? And, you know, am I going to have nightmares? And that's another great line in the movie. The train knocked Ray Brower out of his kids the way it knocked the life out of his body. Yeah. Oh, man. That's That's such great writing. I'm not 100% sure if that line is actually in the book. Mm -hmm. That sounds like something Stephen King would write. Yeah. But whether he wrote it or the screenwriters wrote it, that's Mm -hmm. phenomenal writing. Yeah. And the kid that played the dead body, he's actually gone on in Hollywood. has been a stunt actor setting up stunts and things. Okay. He's been on a bunch of shows. Well, Eric, as usual, thank you for uh, for coming in and... Exploring another great movie with me. I appreciate it. One of the best movies. It's awesome. Thanks for listening and check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash screenfacts if you have any questions or comments. Screenfacts at yahoo.com if you want to email us. At Jason Davis Voice if you want to send a tweet. Please rate and subscribe on iTunes. You can also order ScreenFacts merchandise if you want to show your support that way. Go to the podcast page of jasondavisvoice.com. And a special thanks to our announcer, Kim McKay from Kim'sVoice.com and show theme music by Audionautics.com. Goocher. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit JasonDavisVoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.